Welcome to The Commentary, a weekly conversation about vision, worship, and life at Grace Presbyterian Church. I'm Mark Bertram, the pastor of Grace, and my fellow commenter in today's episode is Cameron Brooks. For a few months now, my wife Lori and I have been preparing for a long-anticipated Paris vacation. We've been reading guidebooks, watching videos, and doing everything else we can think of to get ready. But one thing we haven't done is consider the theology of vacations. In this episode, Cameron helps me correct this omission by asking what our theology can teach us about the role of work, rest, refreshment, and yes, vacation. Is the God-given purpose of leisure merely to recharge our batteries for more work? Or does it point us towards something deeper? Is rest more than just the absence of work? Let's find out. To get us started, here's Cameron. Before you and Lori head off for Paris, I would love to hear a little bit about what your plans are for this exciting trip to bring in some of our listeners, as well as to talk about how Christians should think about vacations and travel and rest, things like that. So I'm hoping that's what we can do with this episode. But first, Pastor Mark, what are you planning to do in Paris? It's a great question. So Lori and I have not been on like a proper vacation in quite a while. We were trying to figure out like what counts as a real vacation and decided that kind of the busman's holiday, you know, your working vacation kind of thing doesn't count. And so it's it's been quite a while since we've just taken some time off to go and do something that's not also going to have some work-related thing. And so the, then the question was where to go. And interestingly, um, Paris was an easy decision. I'm a Francophile, but when Lori and I would talk about where we'd like to go. She oftentimes would think uh, maybe go back to Scotland, which is where we went for our honeymoon or to England, like basically somewhere where they speak English. And um, I, because I was a French minor and, and always imagined myself living in France have always pushed, Hey, no, we should go to France. And so somehow that's what ended up happening. And so, once we had figured out where we were going to go, the second thing was basically what what approach or mindsets should we take to this? Yeah. And so we ultimately decided that rather than thinking about this as a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and then trying to pack everything into it that we could, we should approach it as, oh, no, this is just another trip. And we will go find somewhere to stay and basically just stay there for the entire duration. So we found a place in Paris to stay for two weeks that we're there. And we haven't, you know, planned any day trips. We're not going to, you know, pop over to, you know, Switzerland or whatever, you know, for a day or anything like that. As tempting as it is to, you know, zip down to Geneva (laughs) and say hi to Calvin's statue and then, you know, go to all the various places that you'd like to check in on. We're just going to go to Paris. We're going to stay there. We're going to try as much as possible to be um, just walking around, you know, so we're not even looking at, at, at going you know, to the outskirts so much, but just kind of wandering around and, 
and making our plans as we go. Basically, um, not over-programming, just relaxing and unplugging and letting ourselves enjoy that time. And so that that's kind of the, the mindset that we've had. Now, when I get back, I can report on how yeah. well we executed this right. plan and, and was it a good idea. But, but the funny thing is whenever people ask about this, once I explain sort of the, the thinking, it seems like a lot of people are like, Hey, that sounds great. Like that, that's, I think most of us are accustomed to, you know, the trip where you try to pack too much in. And so the idea of, of getting off the wheel of, you know, over experiencing the trip Mm -hmm. is something that that's appealing to a lot of people. So we're going to test that out and see if uh, that turns out to be the way. Maybe we'll have to have a Paris part two episode. Right. Right. (laughs) At least a segment. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, I have a funny story about the word duh, but I'm, Uh, I'm going to wait. Okay. Okay. Um, An important question though, are you going to be posting on Instagram while you're there or are you going to unplug? Oh, this is a great question uh, because of course I think that's one of those things you have to confront, right? That, that is it really leisure if you're documenting it and sharing it in that way? And I don't know the answer as far as, you know, what we're actually going to do. Like my guess is that, that we'll, we'll stay in touch somehow but I don't know exactly what that's going to look like. I don't think I'm going to be able to get Lori to, to leap in the air over and over again until I get just the right freeze frame of her with the Eiffel tower in the background. So, so there's probably a limited window of, of how much content creation can happen anyway. But, but we both also have that sense of like, you know, are you really enjoying it? Are you really present? If, you're mainly sort of experiencing it through the lens. And yeah. so I don't know, like I, I, I don't want to do what we did on our honeymoon, which is we didn't take any photographs. And then the night before we left realized we haven't taken any photographs. So we went on one long walk around town, taking all of these terrible uh, point and shoot flash photography mm-hmm. photos, which basically are, Lori standing in the dark, you know, her features barely distinguishable because the flash suddenly hit her in the darkness. And then behind her is just this shadowy something that that could be Edinburgh Castle. It could be something else. You just don't know because I didn't know what I was doing with the photography in 1996. But, but the way we experience things now is so mediated that I do think it's a good question. And, and, and we haven't fully thought that through. We've got a, a long flight where we can work some of that good. stuff out. But I do know that I'm grateful for social media and our sort of, you know, Instagram age for, for one reason, which is that you can search based on locations and so as I've tried to plan walks and everything, I've been able to figure out, okay, where is this in relation to that? Just by kind of pulling them up and uh, you can do this, you know, with, with any map, I suppose, but it's really helpful to be able to say, 
okay, this museum is by this cafe. You know, you could get coffee here and you could get art here, you know? And so that's, that's been pretty helpful. How much we'll do it when we're actually there. I don't know, but, but in the lead up, it's been helpful. Well, whether or not we see you posting, we certainly hope you have a good time and can get a few good photos, you know, along right. the way. Well, at least do some proof of life stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, you know, we we're made still it. around. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, I would love to talk a little bit about just the idea of, of uh, vacations and travel in particular. It's, it seems like our notion of a vacation, the way Americans think about it or Western people, is relatively new. I don't, I don't know, but I, it seems like packing the family in the minivan and driving across the country or hopping to another country for a few weeks is, is kind of a, a novel concept, at least speaking, you know, in terms of the whole history of the world. I know that travel's been a thing for a while. I'm really interested, though, in how, how Christians should think about this for one, for one really particular reason, and it's that sometimes while I travel, I feel like I'm not myself. I don't know mm. if you've experienced this, but when I'm out of my normal routines, I'm out of my normal contexts and relationships, and maybe it's just me and my wife in some new place, it's exciting, but sometimes it's also disorienting. Mm -hmm. And if it's long enough, I start to feel like I don't know who I am, and I start to even think and, and feel differently. And... And that actually can be worrisome as a Christian because I need to be faithful wherever I am, right? Right. I want to right. walk in faith, whether I'm at home or in some other city. So I'm trying to figure out what's kind of going on there. And curious what your just general thoughts are yeah, to start so it off. A couple of threads. I mean, tourism as we experience it now probably has its origins in like the grand tour, you know, and you you read about people in the 17, 1800s, who as part of their education would go on this tour of Europe or something, you know, and, and it would have the effect of like a finishing school, as it were, except your finishing school was Europe. And those experiences were meant to educate you and civilize you and that sort of thing. So we have some aspect of that, I think, still now, the, this idea that travel is is beneficial to us and typically we would locate that benefit in the idea of experiencing other cultures that it helps us see how much we are enculturated mm. in ways that aren't apparent to us when we're in our home patterns you know there are things that we might take for granted and and think are just normal aspects of reality but when you travel, you realize maybe not actually that that might just be the way we do things in America or the way we do things in my corner of America and, and actually travel, as they say, broadens the mind. So I think there's a benefit to that that we could say is like educational or, you know, that it gives you a, a kind of perspective that's valuable. And if that's the case, then you can certainly think about that in terms of uh, Christian understanding and wisdom. Mm -hmm. If you start thinking in scripture of, you know, journeys and that sort of thing, you're, you're going to be thinking more in terms of, you know, Abraham's calling to journey to another land 
uh, the missionary journeys of Paul. So, so these are journeys, but they're journeys with, with a purpose beyond broadening the mind or something like that. Right. So it's, uh, our kinds of ways of talking about travel and the benefits of travel and the virtues can feel, uh, frivolous <laughs> in comparison to some of those things. Yeah. Right. But it, is there some other theological category that we could place it under? Or do you think it, it is just kind of a frivolous thing? Or no, is it no, wisdom think, like you were saying? Right. I think, I think there are, uh, before we do that though, I think we should think about our changing attitude towards these things. And this is generational, I think where, there are a lot of people now who will talk about refocusing their lives and their values on gaining experiences, not stuff. Right. And so a lot of the valorization of travel that we see around us now has to do with um, like finding my worth, my identity, not in accumulating things or um, you know, having, you know, fancy cars, houses, whatever, but in pursuing experiences, the sort of unspoken assumption being that experiences are, are best found far away, mm-hmm. right? That, that the journey is the thing. So, so <laughs> not Lincoln, you, Nebraska, <laughs> right? Like you, you maybe could have experiences between here and Omaha, but, but the, the ones you have on the other side of the world are, are more meaningful according to this way of thinking. Right. So, uh, the reason I bring that up is that as we theologize about travel and about vacation, it's important to, I think, be like somewhat skeptical of the easy path that we could take because of the moment that we happen to be in of saying, yes, there's this great virtue in, in travel. The most important thing you can do is to vacation and that sort of thing. And so I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to say it's utterly frivolous on the one hand. And on the other hand, I don't want to make it like the most virtuous thing possible. I want to try to, to, to figure out how we might think Christianly about these experiences and, and how to make the most of them. And also maybe like what it would mean not to have them because that's another reality as well, because it's, it's a, it's certainly a privilege to be able to travel around the world for any extended period of time. You know, it's, it's not something we are in a position to do, you know, every year, you know, this is, this is quite a a thing and we're quite excited about this. Um, But there are people that do this constantly. Right. And so I think there's a, a, something important about thinking through what it means to, to, do this and also what it means to to only be able to do this occasionally or maybe to never be able to do this and and those all have theological ramifications too i think i'm wondering if one way to think about this seeing other cultures that you're you're mentioning is is in relation to the the cultural mandate of genesis because in a way what we're doing when we're traveling to other cultures and is hopefully appreciating what humans have done around the world 
And there's always bad mixed in with the good, you know, especially if you're in Paris. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, but there's lots of beauty and amazing things that humans have done. There's art museums and food and, you know, the, the sites that you go see. And, and I guess that's broadens the mind, but maybe it's a, a way of seeing how humans have imaged God. I'm still thinking of our conversation from last week about imaging God. And in a way, that's how humans image God by proliferating and building new cities and creating art and music and food and, and dining and that kind of thing. Yeah. I know. I think you're right about that. I mean, certainly in my own thinking, uh, one of the reasons why you would experience other cultures or other aspects of your own culture is ultimately this desire to make culture, to be inspired by it mm -hmm. and to do something with that experience that's creative and productive. Um, quite literally, I spent some time last week preparing a new notebook. And whenever I get from one notebook to the next, there's always some stuff I copy into each one, you know, the, the, Prayer for every man in his work is one of those things and a few other quotes that are just meant to remind me sort of what I'm doing. But as I was inaugurating this new notebook, I'm like, this is the, the notebook I intend to carry with me when I'm in Paris. And my hope is to begin some creative work while there. And so it's interesting that that's in my mind, like a huge opportunity not to miss like, why wouldn't you want to work on some book while you're there, even if you're stealing moments to, <laughs> to, to just sort of set down the germ of something? Uh, surely that's, you know, the, the best use in my mind that I could make of an experience like this. And so I think that there's a, a very cultural mandate -y kind of connection there, you know, and, and another one of course would be, rest you know the the idea we're not just talking about traveling in other cultures we're talking about vacation and so when we think about vacation it naturally leads us to thoughts of uh, rest and god's rest after his work of creation our own rest after the work of this life when we enter into our rest with him and so i think that's a little bit of of almost like a two sort of interwoven strands in the experience where part of it is about resting, but another part of it is about contributing and creating all together. You know, we have the word sabbatical in the academic world yes. and I'm not certain, but it sounds like it comes from the word Sabbath. Right. Do you have any, I, I believe that's yeah. the case. Yeah. yeah. Which is interesting. You know, I mean, doesn't uh, Shabbat mean stop, just cease, you know? And, and in a sense, I think that's the ideal version of a vacation for some people. Yeah. Just stop all the stuff that you have to do day in and day out. Well, and a sabbatical is interesting, though, because certainly in, in the academic world, people go on sabbatical, they leave their, their regular work, <laughs> but typically they do it in order to accomplish some other work yeah. that they don't have time to do or, or bandwidth to do in their everyday lives. So you go on sabbatical and it means, well, he's working on a book or, you know, something like that. Although 
I have a buddy who has a fishing boat. He named his fishing boat sabbatical. Uh, so whenever you're like, well, where is he this weekend? He's on sabbatical. <laughs> literally. <laughs> literally. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's, you know, that, that points to the complexity of the idea of rest. You know, we talked about this in a past episode that uh, the way we typically think of rest is just the cessation of labor as if rest is a kind of emptiness where work is the fullness and rest in scripture is a fullness, not an emptiness. You know, there's, there's something to it. It's, it's helpful. I'll give you a, a, a quote here. This is from Joseph Pieper's book, Leisure, the Basis of Culture. And uh, there's a lot in here, I think, that, that would be relevant to our conversation. But specifically in this passage, he's talking about kind of the, the way that we tend to think of, of rest as just a, like, let's say a negative image of work and not its own thing. So this is um, on page 34. He says, the simple break from work, the kind that lasts an hour or the kind that lasts a week or longer, is part and parcel of daily working life. It is something that has been built into the whole working process, a part of the schedule. The break is there for the sake of work. It is supposed to provide new strength for new work. As the word refreshment indicates, one is refreshed for work through being refreshed from work. Now, Then he contrasts that with leisure. He says leisure stands in a perpendicular position with respect to the working process in just the same way as the simple gaze of intellectus does not consist in the duration, so to speak, of ratios working out process, but instead cuts through it at the perpendicular. The ancients compared the ratio with time, the intellectus with the always now of eternity. I know there's a lot there, but (laughs) we're just going to keep going. Now, leisure is not there for the sake of work, no matter how much new strength the one who resumes working may gain from it. Leisure, in our sense, is not justified by providing bodily renewal or even mental refreshment to lend new vigor to further work, although it does indeed bring such things. As contemplation, so leisure is of a higher rank than the vita activa, even though this, the active life, is truly human in a sense. But the ranking cannot be reversed. While it is true that the one who prays before going to bed sleeps better. Surely nobody would want to think of praying as a means of going to sleep. In the same way, nobody who wants leisure merely for the sake of refreshment will experience its authentic fruit, the deep refreshment that comes from a deep sleep. I think in that metaphor, you kind of see the difference, right? That leisure isn't just a way of recharging the batteries to go back to work. It's something else. It's something full and positive, not just like the emptiness, the, the downtime that is necessary for us to remain productive. So again, there, there's a lot in that, obviously, but for our purposes, I think as we theologize about vacation, maybe it would be helpful to think of vacation as a sort of foretaste of leisure, not as downtime 
from work to recharge the batteries. You know, I know I've certainly had people say, oh, I'm so glad that you're taking this vacation because, you know, you have been going at it, you know, burning the candle at both ends or whatever, and you need to take some time off and recharge and that sort of thing. And the implication being that, that otherwise you burn out, right? That if, if you don't have this downtime, then you, you won't be able to keep going. And um, it will help you work better, basically. Yeah. Which is true, but it's not the point. So I, I find I find peeper helpful there. Yeah, I really like that. It, it seems like Christians especially should be able to participate in something like leisure too because we believe that we're saved by grace. And, you know, it's interesting in, in the Old Testament when the Sabbath command is given in one place, it's because God rested on the seventh day. In another place, the rationale is that, well, God brought you out of Egypt. There's that, you know, pointing to his deliverance. So therefore you need to take a break kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. You need to honor the Sabbath day. I think as Christians for us, maybe the parallel is to point to Jesus and to point to his accomplished work of salvation on the cross and resurrection and say, you're saved by grace. Stop working, maybe you know. Take a break, take some leisure, and and don't don't even try to justify it for for some other reason. Sure. Does that? Yeah. Well, <laughs> if you think about the the weekly rhythm of Sabbath, the rest from labor that's built into the fabric of the human week by virtue of creation. That's is meant to be a kind of foretaste, mm -hmm. right? Because that seventh day is not quite the same thing as God's seventh day, right? The, his rest is a rest that he continues to rest from. Like he finished the work of creation and is not still doing it. Mm -hmm. He didn't take a day off and then realize, you know, Oh, it's Monday again. I need to make the world. It's like, no, he's, he's done that work. And so ultimately our Sabbaths are pointing us forward to a final rest, uh, not in a, again, like an empty, like state of death kind of way, his final rest, but, but in a very full rich way, like the, the, the work is done and now it's time to enjoy the fruit of our labors. So I think that's a parallel to the way we might think of this idea of vacation or leisure, that these moments that we enjoy, although we can't do them often, have a sort of Sabbath function in that they point forward to that sort of ideal. You know, like we, we, we've joked about now we're going to Paris and, and you know, if we come back, here's what we'll do when we get back, you know, but I think it's that sense of like you maybe not when you're having the vacation, but as you're planning for the vacation, there's always that sort of like, what if you went on vacation forever? You know, what if this was your new normal? That again, I think is an anticipation, right? Of something uh, truly profound, you know, that, that we all have this sort of sense of there being this, this inaugurated but not yet fulfilled rest 
that is is waiting for us and and we we long to get there and so i think vacation can be uh, another reminder of that but again those sabbaths are also like sabbaticals a rest from one kind of work that enables another kind of work right so it's not that the the biblical doctrine of sabbath is idleness mm-hmm. it's not an enforced idleness one day out of the week it's a day dedicated to the service of god and the things of god so not our everyday concerns but now our highest concerns become our focus that's different from the way we often think about vacation time off leisure whatever because we tend to have that sense of the vacuum the emptiness but in fact these are respites that allow us to focus on higher things, which, again, if, if you imagine you're on vacation and you go to the art museum and you start reflecting on, on goodness, truth, and beauty, you're getting a sense of that, right? That, that maybe you wouldn't take the time in your everyday life to do something like this, but in this vacation space, you will. Yeah. I really like that as vacation as not a break from your Christian calling, but a chance to lean into it. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes me think of, so this is back to my first question about how sometimes we get selfish on vacations, I mm-hmm. think. And I was thinking of a story a friend told me recently, Donald, if you're out there, if you're listening, uh, I think Donald used to live in Florida and, and he said, that they would run into tourists all the time. And it was just terrible because tourists are so selfish and self, you know, self-absorbed. Yes. You're just like, I got to get my thing. I got to get to where I need to be. And it's just me time. That's how you think of vacations. And, and I laugh at that, but I also think of some of my past experiences and I've probably been pretty selfish on some trips before. And mm-hmm. that's, that's certainly not the Christian way of doing things, but what, what you're saying is, is a helpful correct, corrective where, yeah, it's still a break. It's still a, a rest, a refreshment, but it's not a break from your call to love your neighbor. You know, right. I think like, I still have to love my waiter or, or whoever, <laughs> who, you know, whoever I encounter. Um, sometimes it's harder to do that though, when you're in a new place for me, I don't know what it is. Sometimes it's, it's invigorating to be in a new place and, and you can think, in a new way you can see in a new way other times just feel a little bit disoriented i think oftentimes what drives that sort of behavior is anxiety uh the fear of missing out or not not fully enjoying the experience which is again another part of that eschatological wrinkle right because if every vacation in some way points us forward to the the vacation to come then every vacation will also disappoint in its limitations, right? That it, it will, it will somehow fall short of the the good the good full rest that we long for. Um, in the same way that we you know get up after a night's sleep and feel like I could go right back to bed, <laughs> you know yeah. that kind of thing. So. Yeah. Because you're afraid of missing out, not making the most of it, oftentimes you are in your worst behavior, especially if things go badly. Mm-hmm. 
you know, if your plans are upset, if, if, you know, the place that you meant to go in this time is closed or, you know, whatever it is can be that way. So I think another dynamic is anytime you're outside of your ordinary life, you become aware of how much your habits shape you. Mm -hmm. And when those habits are gone, you can be a little bit in free fall, right? And so I think it's it's good for us to carry certain habits with us. Just because we're not in our you know home territory, it doesn't mean that we can't observe our, our same patterns of life. A, a good example being worship. Um, it's always delightful when you are traveling to go worship with some other congregation and experience you know, that sense that it's not just us at our church, it's Christians around the world in many different languages who are worshiping God. And so, I mean, that's one example. Um, there are others. I mean, it's it's totally okay to bring your Bible with you on vacation and actually yeah. read it. And, you know, all of, you know, things like that don't have to stop just because we're on vacation. I found you know, teaching for 20 odd years with Worldview Academy, um, spending one or two months on the road, that not only do you become disconnected to your your regular habits, but you're on the road long enough to develop new ones. And so for me, one of the hardest adjustments used to be coming back after two months on the road and sort of relearning uh, my old life. August for me was always a lost month. You know, I, I would get home at the beginning of August and it would take until early September to really feel like I was home because there was just that, that sense of like, what do I do with myself again? How do I, how are my days structured and, and that sort of thing. And so I think that there's a, a need to be aware of that, right? In the same way that, that when we plan our weeks, um, if you intentionally anticipate, I have this Sabbath rest coming up, I'm going to use it to devote myself to uh, the things of God and to serving other people, you'll have a different Sunday than if it suddenly sneaks up on you and you wake up and you're like, oh, it's Sunday. It's like, what time was Sunday school? Oh, it was an hour ago. You know, it's, it's different. But it doesn't have to, like these things don't have to sneak up on you. You can be conscious of of these things and prepare for them. So I think one other thing would be helpful to think about is again, with travel and vacation so valorized in our culture, what do you do with the reality that for for many of us, this is an occasional thing or a not at all thing? Mm-hmm. If it's so valuable, if it's something that we should uh, derive such great benefits from, what does a person do if they're not in a position to drop everything and go on vacation? I think it, a few thoughts. Part of it is back to what you were saying with the Instagram phenomenon where we feel like we have to go far away. Certainly, you don't have to go far away to rest. You don't have to leave home. Maybe you shouldn't. So there are all kinds of ways for us to vacate and recreate and find leisure that 
you know, I mean, maybe not. Maybe for some people it's, it w- really is impossible. And, and I can't speak to that situation necessarily, but I think for a lot of us, it's possible to, to rest, you know, where we are and, and to take a break from the things that we know we need to take a break from and, and to enjoy God in that. Another thing would be, well, I was, I was going to say something about how there are other ways to broaden the mind too, of course, you know, you can always read books, you can always um, experience art in other kinds of ways. And some people might be into that and and some people might not though. Well, okay. So no, I I think you're onto something there. So to me, the key is this to distinguish between the experience of vacation and travel and the benefits of vacation and travel because those benefits can be experienced even without that action itself. So one of the realizations Lori and I had a couple of years ago, I think during one of our grace at work conversations where we were talking about the idea of, you know, our work as, you know, an Adam and Eve kind of calling that, that all human labor is a sort of, you know, call to tend the garden. And for us, it became really literal because our, our yard was just a bed of weeds, you know, and we were like, we, we actually need to tend our garden. You know, we need to do something to fix this. And so we became more intentional about doing that and became more intentional about, um, you know, just, just, I guess the everyday circumstances of life and bringing some sort of intention and and harmony and beauty to those things. And what happened was a lot of the reason why you'd want to get away from your everyday life stopped being so applicable Mm -hmm. because we, we didn't need to escape because we tended the garden. And I think a lot of people regrets not having the opportunity to travel more or to, you know, take more time off or whatever it is because it would be great to escape from your current reality for a little while and to enjoy this sort of fantasy of an alternate life, another path or something like that. I understand that. I, I get why that resonates but I think you want to channel those kinds of desires into tending your garden, not escaping to the Tuileries garden on the other side of the world yeah. for a week. Yeah. And so in that sense, I think whether you can go on vacation once every 20 years or, you know, once every year or, you know, once in a blue moon, whatever it is, it's not so much the, the, the travel around the world that matters. It, it might be something about the structuring your everyday life in such a way that you are deriving the benefits of rest. And so I would say, you know, let's start with your week, you know, like, like, make make a sabbath interval in your week before you start dreaming of yeah. getting away you know sometime next summer 
you know, get away every Sunday, mm. you know, spend time with God, you know, like, like start building these patterns so that you, you, you don't have a life that you want to escape. That really speaks to me. <laughs> I, um, yeah. Wow. Right. Because the assumption is that like a nine to five career for half your life, three quarters of your life is a waste of time. If you could get out of that more frequently, why wouldn't you? Right. Why wouldn't you want to live on an island or whatever and all those ridiculous things? The assumption under all of that is that you're not doing good, meaningful work, God-given, restful work even, during your weeks. That for some reason you need to escape that. But what you're saying is that you can experience a taste of that rest and um, a meaningful work that you don't feel like you need to get away from every, every week and every year. Right. Exactly. So that if, you know, in God's providence, if you're able to experience these things through travel, through vacation, that's great. If you're not able to do that, you can experience them in other ways, but ultimately you're focused on cultivating the life that God has given you, being a good steward of the resources that he's given you, and valuing these things that we oftentimes allow ourselves to be too busy to really focus on. And so if you know vacation is essentially an escape from our usual busyness, maybe the thing we want to do is, is ask ourselves whether this busyness is not something that we could address you know that we could actually have lives that aren't characterized just by by pointless busyness but actually have this rhythm of work and rest that they're meant to have Thanks for listening to The Commentary. As I pack my bags for Paris, The Commentary is going to take a two-week break. We'll come back toward the end of October with new episodes. In the meantime, make the most of this time off. I'll try to do the same. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can rate us on your favorite podcast app and share episodes with your friends on social media. You can subscribe to The Commentary on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. To find out more about us online, visit graceforsufalls.org.